Previously on Previously on Previously on Just a story podcast But what's a creepypasta? I have no idea Contemporary urban people Also have a folk on what Defines a creepypasta Creepypastas must have originated online We've looked at a lot of many things And we've tried to kind of tease out Some of the most popular ones Jeff the killer Government conspiracy Leaked secrets So the Russian sleep experiment It doesn't have you heard the story of- and written on the wall? And everyone blood. has the different stories of, oh, this happened to my brother. This is telling you stories of the old. There was this girl. It was back when we were little kids. To find out the truth regarding one of the most enduring tales in American lore. A story behind the story. Because it's just a story. So let's talk about a not so bleak conspiracy slash leaked secret. Yeah, this is one of your favorites. I love this so much. My favorite, maybe my favorite creepypasta is this wild rabbit hole called SCP. The Secure Contain Protect, Protect. Agency Foundation, whatever. That switches. I've seen it both ways. So the SCP is this covert organization that's very x filesy but more with a cryptozoology bent. Right, and they are here to protect us mm-hmm. from these paranormal, odd, weird, cryptozoological beings. Right, and not just from that, but there are also objects and places that, if anybody got their hands on, could be very problematic for the rest of us. And they also protect the creatures and kind of do like some conservation efforts and make sure that you know ecosystems are preserved and they're very... You know, conscientious. Oh, good. Positive. They're so positive. Like, I mean, they're creepy as hell, some of them. But they are, I mean, they're all over the place. And the reason for that is this started as a cooperative writing project where the basis for the agency was put out and people were allowed to file their own SCPs. As a result, there are enough to keep you busy every time you poop for the rest of your life. It's perfect. Phone, potty, (laughs) fodder. So what are your favorite scary ones? Oh, gosh. There's like one that kind of looks like a king cake baby going awry. And I can't remember the number that's assigned to it, but it's one of the originals. And it's like you have to maintain eye contact with it, very much like Doctor Who with the Weeping Angels. Very similar idea. Don't blink. You have to keep your eye on it at all times. If you don't, it will, you know, maim you. There's also one that I love the way it's written. The only way it can be described is by saying what it isn't. Nice. I like that. I do too. And there's... What about the toaster? Oh, there's a toaster that must only be referred to in the first person, (laughs) which I think is brilliant. And then there's also... And I love this idea. It makes me want to go right. There's a house where the windows are permanently fogged up with condensation. And you can approach the house and write messages on the condensation. And the extra-dimensional intelligence housed within the walls will write back. So just a great example of this cooperative writing, which is such a big component of creepypasta. Yeah. Another fantastic thing about SCP is they use this writing style that is just so engaging and so much fun 
It's very dry, very deadpan, and kind of has like a pseudoscientific tone to it, where it's very official. It sounds like government documentation. Are there parts that like redact? Yeah, they redact stuff, take things out. And they also employ Class D SCPs, which are prisoners, kind of like death row inmates. But when there is an SCP that is too dangerous for an agent to engage with directly, they'll be in charge of feeding them and stuff. So there's a really complex mythology. It's constantly changing, constantly being updated. It's another one where people are photoshopping pictures, making pictures, adding images. It really fits all the excellent criteria for creepypasta. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know that there was such a wealth of information on this until I started looking at top creepypastas and I started seeing top SCPs. And I was like, wait, top? And then I looked and saw how many there were and how developed this entire organization was. And I am so impressed and it makes me love people and want to just give them hugs and kisses. I think it's fabulous. The next category is probably my favorite category. And it is the lost episodes. And <laughs> these are good. A lot of times they're of children's television shows. The first one that's credited as kind of starting this is called suicidemouse.ava. And I assume, as most things do in animation early on, it has to do with Mickey Mouse? Of course. Yeah. And so this came out November 25th, 2009. It is um, an old school Mickey cartoon, black and white. And it's this continuous loop of Mickey looking kind of sad, just walking down the street. It's like a few second, yes, Mickey. Okay. few second clip. And it goes on for a long time. Okay. Six minutes before things start to change. It starts to have kind of a sound in the background that gradually builds from just a murmur. So Hans Zimmer scored this yeah, Mickey boom. cartoon? Yeah, got it. Okay. And for minutes, it grows into a scream. As the imagery, which is always the same, it's always the same few-second loop of Mickey walking down the street, starts to become distorted and twisted, and the edges become black. And one thing I love, and I love this word, people described it as Kafka-esque. I enjoyed that so much. I did not know you were about to drop the Kafka bomb. Oh my God, I love it. Kafka bomb, I'm sure. Hi, NSA. Okay, so what this makes me think of is when we were a kid and people would be like, oh my God, you know you can see Jasmine naked. Oh my God, you know the clouds spell out sex. Oh my God, you know there's a dick on the Little Mermaid cover. (laughs) It's like this corruption of innocence, right? Like right off the bat, like we're taking something pure and sweet and we're doing horrible things to it. No, for sure. This has to do with our innocence as children and how we reinterpret those things from childhood. There have been a lot of times when we've been talking about stuff we saw as kids and going, you know, it's really dark (laughs) in hindsight. Like Labyrinth was great. Wow, that was screwed up. That's like Fifty Shades of Grey Crystal Edition. That's some crazy stuff. Labyrinth. Oh my God, David Bowie. Just a minute. Okay, I'm back. But my all-time favorite creepypasta is Candle Cove. I love Candle Cove. I think this is a worthy choice, sir. One of the reasons I love this one is how it's written. We've talked about that kind of cooperative writing of creepypastas and this one was written by one person but it was written like that 
to mimic that idea. And so it was posted in 2009 by Chris Straub on his website, Icar Falls. It began as this kind of looking form post of people discussing this children's show. It all watched as kids. They were interested to find that other people had seen it too. Okay. And so it starts. Does anyone remember that kid's show? It was called Candle Cove. I must have been like six or seven. I never found reference to it anywhere. So I think it was on local station around 1971 or 1972. I don't remember which station, but I do remember it was on at a weird time, like 4 p.m. People start to agree with them and start adding more details. I can't remember that. They weren't there like pirates or something? It wasn't marionettes. Pirate marionettes is a good way to start creepy. And then, you know, agreeing and adding characters like, yes. Okay, I'm not crazy. I remember Pirate Percy. I was always kind of scared of him. He looked like he was built from parts of other dolls. It was real low budget. His head was like an old porcelain baby doll. Looked like an antique that didn't belong in the body. I don't remember what station this was. Yeah, my mom used to let me switch stations after the news. It took place in Candle Cove. It was about a little girl who imagined herself to be friends with pirates. The pirate ship was called the Laughing Stock. Pirate Percy wasn't a very good pirate because he got scared too easily. There was always constant calliope music. I don't remember the girl's name, Janice or Jade or something, maybe Janice. And then, you know, of course, people agree with him and they keep adding more and more information. And it gets a little more odd. A little more sinister. Post, yes. And then another post. That's what the ship always told Percy when there's a spooky place he had to go in, like a cave or a dark room where the treasure was. And the camera would push in on Laughingstock's face. With each pause, you have to go inside. With his two eyes askew and the flopping foam jaw and the fishing line that opened and closed it, uh, it just looks so cheap and awful. Do y'all remember the villain? Who is the villain? Well, the great thing is, you know, they'll start like arguing about who the villain was. And then one will say, but yeah, the villain was another marionette, the skin taker can't believe what they let us watch back then which is something that we, we would do, say yeah right? like, like when i saw the bugs bunny cartoons where they're shooting guns and stuff i was like wow dora you would be so sad and then they say like wasn't his top hat and cloak all sewn up crazily was that supposed to be children's skin yeah remember his mouth didn't open and close the jaw just slid back and forth and the girl would ask why does your mouth move like that and the skin caker didn't look at the girl but at the camera and said to grind your skin. Oh my god. So just slowly It's a long con. It kind of lulls you into believing it. And it ends. The poster says, I visited my mom today at the nursing home. I asked her about when I was little in the early seventies, when I was eight or nine, if she remembered a kid's show, Candle Cove. She said she was surprised I could remember that, and I asked why. She said, because I used to think it was so strange that you'd say, I'm going to go watch Candle Cove now, Mom. And then you would tune the TV to static and just watch dead air for 30 minutes. You had a big imagination then with your pirate show. 
So that's the end of the original post. It's just, I love it. I just think it's great. And of course, yeah. as all creepypastas go, people added to this. People started um, creating the episode, saying the last episode was just the puppet standing there just crying and screaming for 30 minutes. And you can actually look this up on YouTube and watch videos people have created of it. Well, the best part of that, in my opinion, is that people in the comments section said, what is this? I just see static. That's amazing. I didn't see that. <laughs> There's so many shows. This is one of the most popular categories. There's Mr. Bear Cellar, which is also called 1999. There's posts about this other creepy kids show that was done by a pedophile on local television. There are a bunch of lost episodes of like Nickelodeon shows and other kids shows where characters like kill themselves, like Squidworth on SpongeBob. Yeah, he, he kills himself, and apparently that's the thing. It really got to a lot of people, which I thought was kind of amazing. Like, if you look, people seem really affected by it. Yeah, but these stories are really interesting because they pull artifacts of other media into it. So, interestingly enough, Mr. Bear always makes me think about Ronald Brown. Who is Ronald Brown? Ronald Brown was a real-life pedophile who liked to talk about eating toddlers in chat rooms and also hosted a Christian puppet show on public access television. Lovely. Mike from Sword and Scale, which is a fantastic podcast, has actually put this information together in maybe the creepiest way imaginable. It is haunting. It is one of the only things I've heard in my adult life that genuinely made me lose sleep. It's not just a story. Probably go listen to it. If you've got a big project coming up and don't need to sleep. Works better than the Russian yes. Well, and that makes me think of the recovered memory oh. that we talked about in the Satanic Panic episode. Yes, because it's like maybe this one kid really was just watching Static. And then everyone else was like, I kind of remember something like that. And they all got on board. And then all of a sudden they all remembered it. And there is an element of not being alone with your own fears. Right. Whatever you're harboring inside gets a voice through this show and gets credibility from other people agreeing with you. So another really important facet of folklore and urban legends in particular are that often they're morality tales. Yes, and I think these are really interesting on creepypasta because there are some that are just like, and they were bad people, so they got killed, or... They did bad things, so they suffered consequences that just kind of follow that traditional form. But there are others that seek to enforce a code of conduct on the internet. So tying in with that group. Yes, because every group needs its own norms and its own cultural practices in order to solidify its identity and code of ethics. And so one of my favorite examples of this is we're going through these, was Anora Petrova. It supposedly consists of a Wikipedia page screenshot and a frantic email. So you get those images. Right. And solidify it, make it seem more believable. Right, and the Wikipedia page looks like a Wikipedia page. So Anora Petrova is a tragic ice skater. She found, when she was a young girl, before her first big competition that someone had created a Wikipedia page for her. And it had, you know, some basic bio information. And it was all correct, and her picture was on it. And she assumed that, you know, someone from her 
training group, maybe a coach or her parents had created it just to give her a little ego boost. Like, look, you're important. You're on Wikipedia. She's paging through and she's nervous about her big competition coming up. And she looks at the bottom of the page and she sees that Wikipedia states that she's won the competition that hasn't happened yet. And this gives her a confidence boost. And she assumes that, again, someone who is on her side has provided this for her as a little like, you can do it, go get them. And so she does, in fact, win the competition and she confronts these people in her life about it afterward. And is like, that's really nice of you, but you don't have to do stuff like that. And everyone's like, we didn't do it. She's around 13 when this happens. And as she gets older, this pattern consistently reoccurs where the page is updated before every major meet or competition. And wherever it says she places, she places. And as she begins to grow more confident, it shows, and her parents invest in a high-profile coach. She spends, you know, dedicates all of her time to ice skating and throws herself in headlong. And when the Olympics are sort of on the line, she has a major regional competition. And so she goes in after her coach is very critical to her and she's not been performing at the level that everyone who's been so supportive would like to see her performing at, she goes onto the page and decides to take matters into her own hands. She updates the Wikipedia page herself. No. Yes. She says that she wins regionals. That is against the rules. Apparently. So at this point, the page refreshes and it says... Anora Petrova is a greedy little bitch. Someone's pissed. So she goes to the competition. There's an accident. Her friend's involved. The friend that she's supposedly writing to in this email. Things go awry. And then there's harassment via this wiki page that keeps saying, in her words, vile things about her. And she complains to the wiki admin and they can't find anyone who's ever logged in to update that page. One day, it says, Honora Petrova is a worthless little orphan. So she begins to call her parents, and she can't get in touch with them. And later, the page lists a date of death. And now she's locked alone in her hotel room with no friends, no success, no family, all alone, waiting for midnight Writing this girl who she wronged, just so she knows the truth. It's such a great morality tale of not going on the internet, changing things related to you, only being truthful online. It's excellent. It just fits so well. Right. And I had heard the legend before, but I'd never actually read the wiki, which is quite disturbing and calls to mind for me the deal with the devil. Because it says... Further information. You should learn a lesson from Honora. Honora delved too deep and got what she deserved. But enough about that little piggy. All alone and reading this drivel. Tell me, what would you like to be when you grow up? Honora had great aspirations and I believed her. At least I did for a while. Such a little piggy. But then, you're not like her. Are you? I see something great in you. Something unrealized. We could go great places together, you and I. 
Yes, more I think about it, the more I realize this isn't just a case of happenstance. Great things can happen when you stumble upon a page like this. Think about it. You with your talents and me, well... Let's just say that I have an ace or two up my sleeve, and I wouldn't mind playing it on your behalf. So tell me, what do you desire most? Oh, you're thinking about it, and the answer is yes. Together we could accomplish great things, and I could help you so much. I could take you places you've never even dreamed. But first... You're going to have to do something for me. Ooh, I didn't know that. Part. Isn't that great? <laughs> it really is. Internet morality. And it's so interesting because we always think of the internet as such a negative place. Right. And it is. <laughs> like, let's be fair. But. We're part of the internet. By I was the about way. to say, no, like, I've actually had a ridiculously positive experience on the internet. I mean, I've had my, like, I've had quasi trolls. I wouldn't call them full trolls. I've had, like, annoying people, whatever. But I've written in a public space for a long time, and I've made lasting friendships and real business connections and met people who are very important in my life just by, you know, reaching out and talking about my interests. So, yeah, the Internet's supposed to be like the dark, deep recesses of society where all the bad things happen. But I've actually had the opposite experience. And please don't change that for me if you're listening. Uh <laughs> This is not an invitation or a challenge. Don't go update your wiki. Yeah, no. I don't have a wiki. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I know. And another thing that I've noticed in um, kind of these morality tales that warn you against doing something is sometimes they'll warn you against doing something after it's already too late. So like Smile Dog. It's a very popular one. So it's this picture of a husky smiling that looks kind of like the dog food ads where the pe- they have people teeth. Right, it's like photoshopped. Yeah. The classic one's like a Polaroid and has bloody fingerprints on it. And it's like if you look at the dog, you go crazy. It's very much like you see the ring and then you die. It's that kind of thing. There are just a lot that are like that. Where it's like if you look at the image that was at the top of the page before you scroll down to the story, you're definitely going to die. And I'm like, that's not nice. <laughs> I didn't well, get an out. I mean, that does fit in with this classic. If you don't pass this along to 10 friends you'll have bad luck for a year oh yeah and smile dog had a story like that that went along with it where it was like you had to share the image with someone or you would die so here pass this deadly image on to all of your friends enjoy i'll be over here going viral so one of the next big categories and in folklore in general is the boogeyman and kids kind of interacting with the paranormal i think that innocence of children just gives it that extra creep factor well it's also the gullibility of children too because it's like you can tell them that there is something that will get them if they're bad and they're more likely to believe it like if i tell you jacob if you don't behave yourself the monster's gonna come out of the closet and eat you but you told me that like two days ago i know but you don't listen (laughs) You still leave your stuff everywhere. Just kidding. That's the kids and me and the dog and the cat and everybody. So children are a little more gullible and they're a little more likely to believe it. But then I think that part of what it reflects is our guilt as the people who pass these stories on to children. The amount of guilt we would feel if the threats we made were to actually happen. Right. Like if our kid was bad 
<laughs> and so Monster actually did come from the closet. And eat him. And eat his toes, as you always tell him. I don't tell him his toes. I just say eat him in general. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't want to come walking around that toes. Be all lopsided. So with the boogeyman, we see that children are either very trusting and innocent and could be preyed upon easily. Or we see a reflection of our own guilt that these things that we throw around so passively, like behave yourself or the witch will come for you or be good or the monster will eat your toes, whatever it is, could actually harm our children. Well, there's also that kids will say these things out of nowhere. Yeah. And they see it as completely innocent. But they'll say something like, the day shadow talks to me and follows me around. Example our child. <laughs> that one was creepy. I assumed Day Shadow was a sweet little friend who he'd made up to play with because I had imaginary friends and I didn't think there was anything weird about that. Except that he didn't like it and we actually performed a fake ritual to make him go away. Oh no, the minute I lost it was when he says, he stands beside me and I think he wants my mouth because he's a shadow so he doesn't have a face. But he has so much to say. This is real, guys. <laughs> this actually happened. Oh my god, it was so creepy. But anyway, yeah, we did like a little mini uh, fake hoodoo ritual because I'm a creepy hoodoo lady and he's not been back. Thank god. I just knew we were going to be on some paranormal show. Like, bro, bro, I see it. I see Day Shadow in the closet. Bro, Day Shadow just scratched me. Get the camera, bro. Get, Get the three camera. scratches. Look at my abs. <laughs> Look my abs, man. Get in the closet, Aaron. <laughs> so if anything, we've avoided ghost adventures coming to our house. One of my favorites, and like when, when my son was recounting this experience to me, I actually thought about it, is the little pink backpack. I've seen iterations of this. Yeah, it's a really easy genre to mimic because it's actually supposed to look like a child's journal that's been kept and it's like a crayon drawings at the top and then her rudimentary captions at the bottom. Right, which... Sorry to ruin people's illusion, but the age they always give these kids... Like, they're five. And the amount that they can write never lines up. When they try to make it look like it's kids writing, and they do stuff to their handwriting, it's way too sophisticated and consistent to ever actually be a child's writing. Sorry, I digress. So the story is that someone's found this little pink backpack, and... They don't know where it comes from, but they open it up and they find this child's journal from school inside, which the setup's right. And there are pictures like, this is Lisa. I play with her, but daddy can't see her. She has blood on her face. I wanted to play in the sandbox, but Lisa says that's where her daddy is sleeping, under the ground. Lovely. Yeah. And then it's like, we had a substitute. I wish she could be our teacher every day. Lisa says my other teacher won't come back anymore, that she's sleeping like her daddy. And then everybody dies. But yeah, that's that's the basic idea. Is it's like creepy shit kids say and don't understand the implications of that we can interpret as adults and see the more sinister aspect. It reminds me of the Mary Bell journals. Oh, definitely. Those creepy writings by kids. Yeah. Another one that fits in with this is black-eyed kids. And speaking of, this black-eyed kids is sometimes considered a creepypasta. Oh, really? Because he originally posted the story on a message board he was on and then wrote the news article. So it technically really fits in. 
as in like a copy paste, right? Like as right. in like the older form before there was the official. No, he fits in that classic definition. But the most popular of popular creepy pastas. Slenderman. 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 So tell me about this guy. What's his deal? So Slenderman was created in June of 2009 on the something awful form on a thread with the challenge create paranormal images through Photoshop. Ooh, fun. I'll play that game right now. Yeah, you do great. So the user, Victor Surge, posted some images he created. And they really are fantastic images. Yeah, they're haunting and kind of ethereal and weirdly pretty. Well, they're black and white and they're of like kids playing. But in the far background, you can see this figure. And it's what's come to know as Slenderman. And he is wearing a black and white suit. He really doesn't have a face. And he's very slender. He's a very tall, elongated figure. It's a striking character. Like, just from a pure design point of view, it's very memorable. Inevitably evokes this feeling of this thing has a story. Makes you want to know more. It's very lingering. Well, it was then a very great meme-like fashion to where it was a photos with captions and the first photo says we didn't want to go we didn't want to kill them but it's persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time 1983 photographer unknown presumed dead and the next photograph says One of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. 1986 Photographer Mary Thomas, missing since June 13th, 1986. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm very impressed with the amount of story that is just artfully crammed into that word count. And that is the sign of an excellent, effective, perfect creepypasta. Yeah. And I would argue that at this level, with this quality writing and this quality image manipulation... This verges on high art. Yeah, it really did. So Victor Serge, whose real name is Eric Nedson, said that he invented the character as an explicit attempt to cooperatively create new folklore. And there we have it. I believe that's the drop the mic moment, but we're not dropping our mic. No, this is too expensive. Black Pete comes from but once a year. Exactly. And he really did do that. This took off the second it was posted. And within days, people were creating new photos, new mythos, making up just images that he'd been throughout human existence, cave paintings of him, woodblock etchings of him from throughout the past, and tying him with fake news stories. Absolutely wonderful mythos that was created by this community. Well, and it's so interesting because whenever you have a phenomena that is highly contested, like Bigfoot or UFOs, people always cling to the tiniest shreds of evidence. 
and they compile them and they make a case over the years. So we have that working in reverse here. People look and they say, like, what does Bigfoot have? I can do that with Slender Man. You know, like, and it's great because it mimics the way our culture reacts to the paranormal. Professor Chess, who we mentioned earlier, she did some research on Slender Man and its evolution. And she stated that it's a metaphor for helplessness, power differentials, and anonymous forces. And he's this infinitely morphable stand-in for things we cannot understand or control. He just stands for those universal, unknown fears. I mean, I think that seems fairly accurate. Because he doesn't have a face. He is so anonymous. He could be anything. He's whatever he is to you. Definitely. And it's interesting because he's always only seen in the backgrounds of photos. Well, there's one I could think of with him, like, with a little girl clinging to his leg, then, like, Victorian-era garb. And that's kind of later. Yeah. So the original things is always kind of in the background. You don't know he's there. You only see him when you're looking back at photographs. Yeah, this has obviously morphed and changed over time. There are video games. There are videos of him just kind of forcing people to kill themselves and all sorts of Ooh, there's of a fake things. 911 call, too. It's really pretty well done. There's some great stuff out there if you don't feel like sleeping that you can definitely watch. I think this is interesting because... To me, reading it, like, I, I agree with, with Dr. Chess. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. But another important feature of it for me is that you can really only see him through media. And I would argue that maybe in the last 10 years, maybe less, we've evolved to the point where we can really only see ourselves through media. Well, you can argue the opposite point, that maybe if you weren't looking at your phone all the time and always looking at selfies, maybe you would see this mysterious being standing right behind you. I don't see it that way, because to me, like, there's nothing in his mythology that suggests that someone noticed him until the photograph was developed. And I don't think that people have always been that disconnected. I think he's kind of a boogeyman that appears after the fact, that you only know that he's been there after the fact. That he's emerged at this time. That this was created at this time. You know, take the mythos out of it. Well, why? (laughs) Because you have to look at when it's created and who's creating it. These are heavy internet users. Is this related to our use of technology and our obsession with it? That's a sign of a truly remarkable piece of culture, media, when it can cause two pretty diametrically opposed points of view that could probably be argued equally well. It's inspiring thought. It's inspiring self-reflection. And it's commenting on the culture. Yeah, and it's important to point out that these creepypastas are just stories oh. that, you know they're not based on anything in reality you know one of the admins for the creepypasta wiki specifically states that they're just a literature site that they are not some sort of satanic cult well that seems familiar i'm sure the creators of dungeons and dragons said the same thing before they made those kids go murder everybody in the past legends have come from 
violence associated with media. I just brought up the Dungeons and Dragons thing. There was a huge outcry against heavy metal music after Columbine. After Jesse Pomeroy killed some kids when he was 14, everyone wanted to blame the pulp dime novels. It's, It's just a tradition going back as far as there have been children who could be corrupted and media to corrupt them. But this media, has it done that? Let me tell you a story. Okay. Is this a new creepypasta? Hold your horses. So, there were these three 12-year-old girls, and one of them was named Morgan, and another was named Peyton, and another was named Anissa. And it was Morgan's birthday. And so her parents had given her permission to choose two friends to invite over to her house for a slumber party. They went and picked up their friend. Morgan and Anissa got in the car with her father, and they drove over to pick up their friend Peyton. And that night, they all went to Skateland. They got home around 9.30, and Morgan and Anissa whispered to each other, and they decided that they could wait until tomorrow to put their plan into action. They wouldn't do it here, they decided. They'd wait till they all went to go play hide-and-seek in the park, just down the street. They'd been planning it for months, and they couldn't wait to meet him. This is just a story, right? Um, no. Unfortunately, it's not. It has all the makings of a slumber party ghost story. It has pretty much all the ingredients for a creepypasta, but it happened in real life. Morgan and Anissa were two 12-year-old girls from Wisconsin who were fans of the Creepypasta website. Right, they'd become obsessed with Slenderman. And so they decided, a little before Morgan's 12th birthday, that they should become proxies for Slenderman. And that he would probably come kill their entire family if they didn't kill someone to appease him. The story about the entire family being killed was kind of tacked on after the fact, So when the girls were arrested, they said that they believed that if they killed, they would be able to go live with Slenderman. This is from the original news story from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. We're told police that Slenderman is the leader of Creepypasta, and in the hierarchy of that world, one must kill to show dedication. We're said Geyser told her they should become proxies of Slenderman, a paranormal figure known for his ability to create tendrils from his fingers and back, and killed their friend to prove themselves worthy of him. Weir said she was surprised by Geyer's suggestion, but also excited to prove the skeptics wrong and show that Slenderman really did exist. The suspects believe that Slender, as we are called him, lived in a mansion in the Nicolette National Forest in northern Wisconsin. The plan was to kill the victim and walk to Slender's mansion. After school on Friday, Weir told the police that she and Geyser went to Weir's home, where she packed a backpack with clothes, granola bars, water bottles, and a picture of her mother, father, and siblings, because she didn't want to forget them after she left for Slender's mansion. When asked about Slenderman, Geyser said that she'd never met him, but she said he watches her. And he can read minds and teleports. She also said he would kill our families. When asked who he was, Geyser said she didn't know him. So these girls 
saturated themselves with the material from this website. And for whatever reason, Morgan especially seemed to really be affected by the idea of forces beyond her control and the nameless, faceless terror. Right, it's hard to say what her psychology was behind this. She'd filled up notebooks of drawings of Slenderman and writings, almost like mimicking things she might have seen online, just scratchy writing. Not only did the font and layout look a lot like some of the images that are passed around, there's definitely an obvious aesthetic influence from that, but she'd filled notebooks, it seemed like in one sitting. There might be one word written on a page, or, you know, just one circle with X's. Or it just seemed like it was done rapid fire. A lot of the things that she'd written down seemed to be catchphrases associated with various scary stories. She'd drawn cartoons of some different creepypasta characters. I mean, Slender was obviously her favorite. She was a supreme devotee. But why are we talking about this? There was a third girl. Her name was Peyton. And she was also 12 years old. They were all students at the middle school. They decided they should probably kill her. Kill her? Yes. Logically, that seemed to be the only solution. They made a list of supplies that they would need in that same notebook. There is also a list of supplies. It includes pepper spray, a weapon, and then parentheses it says kitchen knife, water, ski mask, etc. They planned this months in advance. Originally, they planned to stab her in the throat and pull the covers up to cover the wound. So it would look like she's sleeping, and they would just run away to Slender's house, and all would be well. Leave her in Morgan's bedroom. But they decided that would make a really big mess, and it was not very practical. So they'd wait till the next day when they went to the park, because they knew that the restroom there had a drain for the blood to go down. Because they're very concerned with cleanup, for whatever reason. These kids just seem to have no concept of reality they don't know what they're doing no they are like ah, i'd make a mess at home that's probably better if they really think they're going to like ascend into nicolette state park why are they worried about cleanup i guess they're just being considerate so they go and they're planning to kill peyton at the park in the bathroom but one of the girls loses their nerve and so they can't do it in the bathroom like they plan so they decide to play a game of hide and seek Peyton goes into the woods with one of the girls, who tells her to hide by laying down on the ground. Just lay face down, she says. She's like, uh, no, that sounds yuck. And so she pushes her. Once she's sitting on top of her, holding her so the other girl can stab her, she starts to scream and make a really big scene. So she gets off of her and goes back, and they kind of go over their plan again. One of the girls says, you stab her. And she's like, I can't do it. And she's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do it unless you tell me to. Because they're 12. <laughs> and she's like, and so I told her, okay, go ballistic. Do it now. And so they stab the girl 19 times. 19 times? So they kill her? No, they don't kill her. Oh, thank God. But she's screaming and making a scene. And so Anissa thinks quickly and says like, okay, um, you should lay down and be quiet because you will lose blood more slowly that way. We're going to go get the police We'll be right back to help you. And she also says in her statement that the whole time she's being stabbed, this girl was screaming, why are you doing this to me? I trusted you. Which is so heartbreaking. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And so they stab her, they leave her lying in the woods, and they go off to Nicolette State Park to try and find Slenderman. 
They take the knife with them. They leave her there. But this girl manages to crawl out of the woods and find help. Some bicyclist sees her and thinks that's not right. And you know what he does? He calls the cops because he's a decent human being. And we don't live in the world created in the New York Times article about Kitty Genovese. And he gets her help and she survives. These girls are taken into custody. They're found walking down the road with their backpack with their granola bars and their knife. And they're brought into custody, questioned about this. When they're asked, you know, why did you tell her to lay down? It's like, so that she wouldn't call attention to herself. And so she would die, one of them says. And they're like, did you want her to die? And she says, well, the bad part of me wanted her to die. The good part of me wanted her to live. And then the other girl says, when I finished stabbing her, I wiped the blood on my jacket and I put it back in my backpack. You know, it's weird. I just didn't feel any remorse. Early sociopath signs. Yeah, much. She actually states that they wanted to kill her and they were sad she wasn't dead. And so what happened to these girls? Well, they're being tried in adult court. Um, I don't think anything has gone through yet because obviously there are all kinds of mental capacity hearings and, you know, they're trying to get you know, plead insanity and various mental defects. I don't believe any verdict has actually been rendered in either case yet, but they are being tried as adults for attempted first-degree murder. And so when this came up a few years ago, Creepypasta and Slenderman were in the news everywhere. Yeah. Um, And it's actually interesting. In the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which is, you know, the biggest paper in the area where the girls were, there's a journalist named Erin Richards, and she pretty much immediately post this and I think it's kind of amazing it says in the aftermath of the bizarre and tragic stabbing of a middle school student Saturday allegedly at the hands of two friends obsessed with a fictional monster they'd read about online we're trying to figure it out who is Slenderman an internet age boogeyman an urban legend We're seeking parents to talk about the conversations they're having with their children about this character and how concerned they are about the fantasy worlds their children read about online. If you would like to comment, please contact blah, 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 blah. Classic example of people trying to blame the media for the world's problems. Mm, I'm sorry. I feel like if Morgan's going to be crazy, she's going to be crazy. Yeah, it would have come out sooner or later. Not when she's 12, not in the way that sounds so made up, but maybe like some Eileen Warno stuff later. I could totally see it happening. Kids, like, she seems very, very disturbed to me. You know, we talked about Jacqueline Woolley's research at UT on the Black Eyed Kids episode, and she looks at children and their morality and their ability to distinguish fact from fiction. Uh Uh-huh. And she says, by the time you're nine years old, you're at an adult level. So there's no question that if these kids were in a normal psychological state, that they would be able to know that this is not a real thing. Maybe they wanted it to be real. And that's very different. And so there was a ton of people looking into this when it happened. Shira Chess had a great quote. She was asked, how do we get kids to stop reading this? <laughs> how do we get people to not look at these terrible creepy pastas? And she says, that's not the right question. These are no more threatening than the vampire stories or zombie stories. It's articulating specific cultural fears in an online space. 
How do people not get that? Is what I don't understand. Because they're looking for something to blame. Oh, yes. It can't be the beautiful little blonde girl. It must be the monster. Always. Wouldn't it be nice if it was really a monster? Make things a lot easier. God, I wish that wasn't just a story. So the police chief in Waukesha said, The internet can be full of dark and wicked things. Oh, honey, that's just a story. And we'll just keep being here, examining all of these stories. And what they say about us as humans.